Welcome back to the Students Co-op Memory Journal. This podcast is dedicated to the Dakota. We thank and recognize the people who care for the land upon which our community is built. Thank you to the Dakota. It is approximately Halloween 2022, and let's get the interview started. In my research, the number of names registered with the address 1721 University Avenue Southeast in the U of M directory was waffling since 1960, and so it became harder for me to figure out who was living there whether it was non-males, non-students, or any other exciting changes from the norm. I was at first surprised to find that women's names didn't appear until 1975. In my interview with Jerry Dammel, I was happy to confirm that by the mid-1960s or so, there were women living in the house, not just as visitors, but as equal participants. And to my surprise, another name was associated with the address, something called Libertarian Club. Today we have Tom Coughlin, who is listed as the contact for this club. Can you please tell us a bit about yourself and what was going on at the co-op in the 70s? Sure. Um, so I was uh, originally from South Dakota. There was a fellow named David Winkler, and he was like a year ahead of me in high school, but he and I used to do some stuff together, kind of, you know, mutual nerds. For one thing, we were at one point, we were trying to get components to build a CO2 laser because it could cut through metal. But when he went to uh, the University of Minnesota, he ended up staying at the student's co-op. And so I ended up going to the university as well. And he told me about the students' co-op, and I went and I looked at the uh, dormitories and all that, and I thought they were pretty depressing. Uh, <laughs> didn't have a lot of character. Yeah. yeah, and so I applied to be able to go to the students' co-op, and I ended up staying there too. And uh, the Libertarian Club was a group that I and a few other uh, folks started there. So I came to the university in uh, the fall of 73, I graduated that June before from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, O'Garman High School. And that's also where Dave went. Oh, Dave's family actually is a pretty cool family. Their dad was the chief engineer for a company called Raven Industries in Sioux Falls, and they made hot air balloons. Well, fun. Yeah. So the family was, you know, really seriously, you know, engineering oriented. And I remember going to their place and seeing these, you know, that first of all, they, they did balloonings and I ended up going along and, and crewing, you know, ground crew on some of the balloons and stuff. And so that was pretty fun. I even got to write a few times in the balloons and they had an element collection. They had some acromill bins and they had collections of all of the elements, all the elements they could. They didn't have many transuranic elements, but they had a lot of other stuff. What's transuranic? Sorry for my ignorance. Um, you know, beyond uranium. Oh, okay. So super radioactive. Basically. The radioactive. They didn't have okay. the, they didn't have the radioactive stuff. <laughs> okay, that's especially good. the ones in the short lifetime. But uh, they had other things. Uh, for instance, there was a little glass ampules that were supposed to contain xenon in them. You know, you had to sort of take it for granted. They did. You know, gases. <laughs> but they were like seriously into uh, in engineering and science. And I uh, actually knew a bunch of the uh, the family. But Dave in particular was was a friend, and he and I talked and tried to do some stuff. So when he went to the students' co-op, I ended up going there too. Was there an application process? Did you just walk up and express interest or did you have to like sort of appeal to the existing members in some way to get in? seems to me, if I remember right, you know, first of all, I knew somebody who was already staying there. So that helped, but it seemed like there was kind of an interview process of some sort, you know, met with some people. They said, this person looks okay or not, you know, it was a, a mix of a lot of different types of folks but who didn't want to stay in the dorms. And uh, it was very close to campus, which is very convenient. And uh, so I was there for like, I think, two, uh, maybe three years before I moved out. 
my roommate there, actually my first year, if I remember right, I didn't have a roommate. And then the last two years was Manzi DeAngelis. And the Libertarian Club, so libertarians uh, essentially believe in civil liberties and economic freedom, you know, minimal government intervention in our lives. And uh, so I started that club. There were a few other folks who were part of that. I think it was in grad school, let's see, that was uh, 73 through 75. And then I can't remember if it was still if it was then or in grad school, but the, uh, was uh, leading some uh, demonstrations on campus. Started some demonstrations, a bunch of other people against conscription because they were trying to bring back conscription. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, terrifying. The, well, uh, you know, uh, it's registration for conscription, right? And so they had gotten rid of it at the end of the, of the Vietnam War of, of the registration, but they're going to bring it back so they could, you know, be able to draft people again. And so, there so the was, end of the Vietnam War was the early seventies. Then it was the early seventies, and uh, but then they and and at that point they actually got rid of registration for the draft because they thought it made it too easy to some of the legislators to for foreign inter, to get involved in foreign interventions. A few years later, they wanted to bring it back, and they did bring it back. And so I was uh, actually one of the leaders and organizers for a bunch of demonstrations. I was a physics student. I was studying physics at the university. Not just libertarians, there were socialists, a whole you know, a whole bunch of different people, uh, Quakers, you know, a lot of uh, different groups that were against conscription. So we had a lot of demonstrations, and I was very involved in that. In fact, actually, you know, we had we put on demonstrations, we wrote stuff, did articles for the local student newspaper, and I had a whole collection of these things. I actually gave it to someone at the some archivist at the University of Minnesota who was trying to collect things on that a few years ago. Wow, cool. Okay, the records I had. Not to slow you down, um, but I'm so curious about how the um, how the dynamics in the house were. Uh, did you have people participating in that in the students' co-op as well? I think we used to, we met in the living room, in the uh, lower floor living room, I think we had some meetings down there. And so that's, and we needed, we wanted an address so people could send stuff to it and things like that. So, so that was, so that's why it was labeled the Libertarian Club. That's amazing. Okay. I get it. Thank you. But I was, I think I was the only one who was a member who was at, who was staying at the co-op. Right. But it was just, okay. you know, they, we needed an address. So I used that address. Yes, absolutely. And that's so cool. Um, yeah. Oh, please keep going. And whatever your thoughts are. Yeah. So uh, I remember that we that there was a uh, I can't remember her name anymore, but the lady who, there was a lady who who made lunches, uh, mostly made dinners. So we'd have hot dinners down the basement. There was a kitchen down there. Was that Lucy, perhaps? Or... I think it might have been. That was very nice to be able to get uh, you know get food. I believe she made lunches and certainly she made dinners. Yes, so I had was... forgotten about that. That in the it was I think the late seventies early 80s when the last house cook finally left i think yeah yeah that was convenient there was a, a lot of dynamics and folks i knew who were at the place uh joe dooley a guy named rossi fascinating characters i have not had any contact with them in fact even dave winkler um, a few years ago i tried to connect up with him but he never responded i think he's living in maryland if i remember right working for some government lab or something wow yeah, there's a lot of interesting, prominent engineers and doctors and stuff coming out of the students club. I've been surprised to find connections going way back even to like 1940. Mm. I think the first president of the house, if I'm not mistaken, like was a huge proponent for um, like dental health and, and mm. kind of became known for it and stuff. Um, ah, okay. But going back to food just a little bit. Um, so I understand at the time, the basement floor, meaning the kitchen floor too. Would have been red linoleum. 
I can't remember for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just don't, don't remember for sure. It might have been. And then there were scheduled truck deliveries of the food that I in yep. the 90s. Yeah, I think that's right. There was a little bit of parking there. I think generally enough for us, but it wasn't a lot, you know. And well, the other thing is that we were, everyone else around us were their traditional, um, you know, sorority, uh, sororities and, and fraternities, you know. So and we were like this, you know, hippie hangout place you know okay so it it was seems that a hippie was definitely yeah a thing in the 70s hippie so in the 1980s it seems the co-op was in a kind of a cold war with the fraternities on the block leading to vandalism (laughs) and fights and so on was there a similar atmosphere in the mid-70s no no it's just that we were kind of the odd ducks you know okay good to know it was just odd ducks not yet antagonistic okay i didn't i didn't see that that much of that it's just that you know we you know there might be a lot more of that uh herbal smoke if you will uh, perhaps versus uh you know copious amounts of uh of alcohol okay got uh, it got it more common at the students co-op so um kind of related topic i'm thinking about conflict resolution were there incidents in which conflict in the house was not resolved well uh there were situations where there was conflict i remember there was a a lady who was staying at the house and she was sleeping with one guy and then and then she sort of broke that off and then it was with, uh another guy and um he slugged him and broke his jaw if i recall correctly and so yeah uh so that's one situation i can remember i think you know they kind of resolved it but he did have a broken jaw and had to you know get that healed wow yeah i suppose that wouldn't have come up at a board meeting like do we approve the medical finances for his broken jaw um No, I don't think that that would that never didn't come up at the time. Okay, because in my era, like everyone was a board member, so like things like that would come up. We had some. Oh, I, I think it was too. We were all we were all part of the governing body. This is more oh, like okay, okay, good. This I think it was a lot. It's a lot more like ancient Greece, right? Uh, we're all voter voting members. We're all part of the co-op, right? You okay, know, got it. Yeah. So it's it's not a republic. It's not representative. It's it's uh, more like everyone votes, and it's more like town meeting style. But there was some situation that went on that uh, that were you know where there were conflicts and things of that sort. But I think in general, you know, a lot of people, it was just a great place to be. It was a fun place. It was uh, different than staying and living in other places. Um, you still had a sense of community close to the university, but it wasn't the sorority fraternity type of. Uh, uh, environment it was a lot looser a lot more counterculture if you will that's very cool so i guess then by 1973 there had already been co-ed living for a while what was your experience um as a young person um kind of living with women now and um and then also do you want to share anything about kind of whether this was your first you know, living on your own kind of situation? Oh, it was, was my first, uh, you know, before that I've been living in my parents' house. And so I was going to undergrad college and it was my first time away from home. So, and Minneapolis is, you know, a fair distance from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So it's a, it's a good drive. So I might make it there, you know, a few weekends, you know, a quarter, but you know, I could, you know, I wasn't going back all the time. So, you know, I had to get used to washing your own clothes and, uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, picking but up it- but, yeah. but you did have the cook, so that's cool. So that was like two meals or so, like lunch. And yeah, dinner, yeah, I get like two meals, two meals that that she would do, and then you know you're on your own for breakfast. But the stuff was down there. They had big refrigerators and you know and and you know toasters and things of that sort, so you could make refrigerated milk things. You know. Okay. You- yeah, there was the cow. Maybe the milk dispenser. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay, that's great. With a plastic, then, a plastic tube that the male could come out of, right? <laughs> right. Yes, I can picture that. So um, the other thing was, did you ever have meals together uh, informally or formally? Would you ever do like a supper club kind of thing? Well, I mean, there are people who are doing various things. So it was, it was the only times that you might, if there was a house meeting would be the times you get together and you'd generally meet people, whoever was there when you were eating at the time. I like, you know, I was studying physics. I had to study a lot and people were doing various other things. So, you know, we kind of, you meet people informally. There wasn't a, except for the house meetings, there probably wasn't any time when you all generally got together, though. A lot of times people would get, many people would get together to watch TV down in the, you know, um, I think if I remember right, there was like a living room, then there was a, a extension of that, then there was a TV there. And so, you know, a lot yeah. of people watch TV shows in the, in the evenings, that kind of thing. Okay. So they'd watch it together. Would there ever be house parties? Um, yeah, I think there were some of those. Yeah. Can't remember particular instances, but I think there were some of those. Would you ever do social things outside of Libertarian Club that were kind of like, hey, let's all just go down to the river and throw a Frisbee or something? Or did it seem like there were like cliques within the house or groups that kind of just yeah, there were some together? Of those, but they're also but I think there, there, there were groups that tended to hang out together. There were people that are more introverted than extroverted, you know, um, so they might do less of that um and plus people were really busy with their studies you know and other stuff they were doing but so there's a i think a, a great range of types of people that were staying there you know some of them interact with each other and like i said before sometimes hit each other but uh, were there were there incidents in which conflict was resolved well in which there was kind of like a discussion or a feeling in the house that oh, okay we can do better next time or oh yeah yeah i think so for, for the most part you know most uh most issues were resolved with uh with just discussion and people being made aware of a situation, you know? Very cool. Like that somebody should take a bath more often. (laughs) That's interesting. Did you ever have issues with like this, um, like privacy differences between men and women? Or was there, um, was the demand on the bathrooms okay? Were there 30 people living there? Do you remember? Well, they had, they, as I recall, there were like, uh, what was it? Three floors at the time. And uh, I think there are bathrooms on each floor. So unless a bathroom, you know, had a problem, I, it generally seemed like it worked out okay. Did you have three telephones, one on each floor? Do I think so. That? They were all fixed line telephones at that point, but I believe there was uh, telephones on each floor. And did you have the telecom system at that time where you could say paging so-and-so there's a phone call? Oh gosh. Um, we might've. Did you have a number of couches in the common spaces? Yes. Yep. And so, yeah, it sounds like pretty similar to the late 70s. It's kind of like I, a spread I, of couches. I think the only there. time you'd get rid of some of the furniture is when it was totally worn out. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> or did you ever find mice living in the couch? Because we we did at one point. And we had to oh, I'm trying to remember. Um <laughs> I know it's especially because people eat food and then it gets in the furniture and then the the mice get at it. I can't remember if we had in mice or not, but I I could certainly see that happening. Okay, good to know that like pests did not like come as a um, like a strong memory. So, okay, uh, the board organization in my time living there in the 2010s, it was everyone was a board member and was expected to come to meetings so that decisions could be like you're saying kind of Greek style collectively made. But I guess in the 70s, there might have also been some separation between like a, a, like a board of decision makers and managers 
and others who would just do a chore. Uh, do you remember like the, oh, that's the right. We did, we did have things you're supposed to do, you know? Uh, well, there were like officers. Is that maybe what you're talking about? Yeah. Officers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like a treasurer and a house manager. Yeah. Maybe. I think we did have that. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lot of people. Most everybody was a worker bee, you know, and had things they had to get done, but uh, there were one or two people who were supposed to like, you know, make sure the tribe did what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, what was your first official role? Do you remember? I have no clue. <laughs> probably just like uh, probably just like bathrooms or kitchen is like bathrooms kitchen taking the garbage out. out or things like that yeah yeah okay well i'm kind of out of questions but um do you have any funny memories or traumatizing memories anything no well mostly it was uh you know i felt there were a lot of people uh interesting people i got to know there uh you know and it was a growing time for me you know in terms of uh, socialization and meeting people and uh, getting used to being on my own. Uh, I thought that was uh, an interesting and a good group of people that were there. You know, like me, I think they tended not to want to be part of the, you know, the regular, like, you know, staying in the dormitories or staying in the, you know, fraternities or sororities. So uh, I thought, you know, basically a collection of odd and interesting people that created a community, you know, is what I'd say. There, yeah. Uh, that's a description a of a lot of what, what it was like there, you know, not necessarily conformist or part of the normal student population. So as you say, you know, some people uh, who've gone there have done, um, you know, uh, extraordinary things. Uh, by the way, um, I've been doing a lot of uh, volunteer I tr uh, stuff in the IEEE, which is. Oh, large... yeah, the, the like engineers. Associated. Yeah, electrical engineers. So so I did undergrad in physics, but uh, then I took a year off and worked somewhere. I wasn't at the co-op at that time, but then I came back to the university in electrical engineering, uh, working on magnetic recording and, uh, at the time. And, um, I'm, I've been elected president elect for the IEEE next year. So Holy buckets. Wow. Okay. Everyone vote for Tom. No, it's uh, already done. <laughs> oh, okay. But, well, yeah. That's amazing. So then I have you to thank for my uh, little magnetic portable voice recorder. <laughs> Probably. No, well, there was a lot of people working on magnetic recording, but I was doing some doing stuff on that back in the, in the uh, late seventies. And then when you left, um, what were your reasons for leaving and what were your feelings upon leaving? Was it like sad, nostalgic, or were you just like excited to, you know, launch your career or? Yeah, it was, uh, well, so, um, yeah, I was wanting to, uh, let's see, cause I ended up moving in with a few other people in a, um, renting a, uh, like half, part of a house. And so I think part of it was, you know, getting a place, you know, more of my own um but it was uh you know it was like getting out of my life and and uh, uh moving into the next phase whatever that was going to be i think was part of it uh i still had connections back at the students co-op and fond memories of the place um so and like i say i think it would it, the other option at the time seemed to be to stay at the dorms i'm glad i had a chance to stay at some places it was more interesting than that you know that's sort of self-governed versus you know having dorm proctors and all that stuff was there any discussion at the time about like alternative foods because in the 70s there was a lot of like co-op grocery stores appearing and, and a cooperative food do you remember that being a discussion at the house or uh... yeah I remember, I remember some of that um and the other thing was it really was a co-op it was actually i mean you, you probably know this from your research it was an extension from the agricultural co-ops yes you know, it was owned by, they, they owned it. They, I think it was what a Jewish fraternity in the thirties. And then 
they ended up selling it to to uh, one of the big co-op companies. That's how it became the students co-op. It actually was part of one of the big agricultural co-ops. Did you like to go um, bars, go to the lake? Did you bike? Did you have a bicycle? Did many people have bicycles there? A lot of them had bicycles, if I recall right. Or were you just like a workaholic studying? Well, I did a lot of studying, but I was also, see, I think I first started to get into uh, science fiction fan groups then. Oh, uh, cool. Was yeah. Dreamhaven a thing in Lynn Lake area, the sci-fi comic book store? No, but there was uh, Uncle Edgar's, I'm trying to remember where it was, Minneapolis, but there was a science, there was a, a, a good science fiction fan community there. And I got involved in that somewhere in that in that time period. In fact, in 76, I went to the World Science Fiction Convention. I met actually met Robert Heinlein there. I mean, it was what you met Robert Heinlein. That's so yeah. neat. No, yeah. I I really like sci-fi. I've been reading um when I was a teen, I was reading a lot of Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. I met Asimov, or at least I saw him also what? at some what? science fiction conventions. Wow. Asimov, Harlan Ellison, uh Simak. There were some little guys who were local, you know, Minneapolis area or you know, around around the Midwest. And so I used to go to some of the, what was it called? There was a science fiction convention in Minneapolis and I used to go to that. And so, you know, a lot of authors would show up there. The 76 uh, World Science Fiction Convention was in Kansas City, which is in Missouri where Heinlein was originally from. So he, uh, I mean, he lived out in California then, but he came to that. And I think I got some books signed by him and I actually was on the elevator and he was on the elevator at one point. <laughs> That's amazing. So I got to ask. Yeah. Star Trek or Star Wars? I like both. Really? Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. They're both interesting. Did, yeah. you, did you did you grow up watching the original series of Star Trek from the 60s? Yes. I really like that show. The the colors and the um like the the edge of humor. Mhm. Mm and like the dynamic between the characters in Well, the a little bit of intelligence versus, you know, a lot of a lot of the uh, science fiction, especially TV shows up at that point, you know, were generally pretty silly you know but there actually was bought yeah. into the plots and you know some philosophical elements and made them much more engaging and interesting yeah it wasn't just ray guns and rubber suits it was ray guns and rubber suits and philosophy which is yeah like you know uh, philosophical questions what is reality what is a human things like that you know essentially were some of the things that are oftentimes explored Ooh, I, you know this is like a crossover with my other podcast uh, i like people but i often ask what is a human mm -hmm. and what what is a human to you tom uh a human to me is um a conscious entity um that interacts uh with its environment and seeks in some way to develop a human i think there certainly are nature, and I believe it's probably true of other conscious beings. Part of, I think, of being conscious is a desire to understand and know the, know the universe around us, to have some understanding of things and in some way of being having agency over things. A human, I think, and I, I put that beyond just even uh, Homo sapiens, right. are creatures, entities that are conscious, that uh, seek to understand and influence the world around them and understand themselves and others you know in that uh, there's all kinds of variations of that but i think that's a lot of what being human is about human beings as we are often are based upon what we know and our, what our experience is that's how we view the world i was talking to someone just the other day uh, at a conference actually about uh, wherever you go people look at the where they are and their society is the center of the universe 
How <laughs> true. You know, whether you live, you know, you hunt your food in a, you know, Polynesian island or you live in the in a big city, you know, in a sense, your background, your history, you think unless it's somehow broadened, it seems like that's what the world is all about. But I think the full potential of humans is in uh, that we are capable of doing big things, greater understanding of the world around us. It can be put to good or evil use. And that this leaves the door open that eventually, you know, you could have artificial entities even that could be human, that they realize themselves, they have curiosity and a sense of agency about things that are around them that they want to know about and be able to do something about. So anyway. What do you think about Google AI being announced as like um, self-aware and stuff like that? Does that interest you? Do you think it that's... would be, except I doubt if it is yet. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you believe in... Um intelligent life outside of the planet somewhere almost certainly there has been with it you know there ha- uh, there's so many stars so many different uh, places where you know things could develop i'm almost certain that it has developed the question for us probably if we ever want to find these things is who, are there any of these around anywhere close enough to us that we can communicate with each other during the while we're still around <laughs> while we're still around yeah yeah either one of us open you know? words yeah Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Um, yeah. And if I, you ever want to find out some more stuff about me, my website is tomcoughlin.com. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank take you. Care. Good, thank to meet you. you. Good to meet you. Dr. Coughlin has many publications and six patents to his credit and is a regular contributor to Forbes.com. To see what Tom is up to next, just visit tomcoughlin.com. That's T-O-M-C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. By the way, the Students' Co-op is running a fundraiser to reopen in 2023. Visit studentscoop.org for all the neat methods available to help. All proceeds go to the Students' Co-op. I do not profit from this podcast in any monetary way at all. Maybe emotional ways. Anyway, for show notes, please visit podcast.studentscoop.org. The Students' Co-op Memory Journal is also on iTunes and YouTube. Catch you next time.